We are good to go. Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? Just finally managed to get this to work without my phone exploding somehow. So I hope everybody's doing a good job. <clears throat> so weather today, 11 degrees in Amsterdam, 19 degrees in Paris, 13 degrees in Brussels, 20 degrees in Bucharest and 12 degrees in London. Hope you're all having a good time and you're handling everything that's going on well. So good news first. Yesterday was the... 17th anniversary of the Treaty of Athens, which led to 10 countries joining the EU, including the Czech Republic, Estonia, Cyprus, Latvia, Lithuania, Hungary, Malta, Poland, Slovenia, and Slovakia. Always a good thing to keep in mind that the European Union is fairly recent, fairly young, and that people countries were joining the Union very recently. And especially in such a big accession process like the EU's, it was quite a thing to see 10 countries join at the same time. Now, in the uh, topic of coronavirus, there is some good news in that people are saying that across multiple countries, <laughs> thank you very much, uh, across multiple countries, there are the infection rate is now moving below R, uh, the infection rate of R is now moving below 1, so each infected person is infecting fewer than one other person. So if you want a good explanation of how this works, I retweeted something very, very good that the... European, uh, well, that's Angela Merkel was saying the uh, other day, explaining this to her constituents in a way no other politician has managed to do so far. And there's further good news, which is a bit of a double-edged sword, where Danish society is continuing to reopen. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's a completely different topic entirely. But um, in... Uh, the country schools and kindergartens were already open, but now they're starting to open hairdressers, dentists, physiotherapists, courts, and other services as of Monday next week. Austria is doing something similar where smaller businesses are starting to open up and people are being able to have a little more, let's say, freedom to act in an economic manner and this kind of thing. But while we may not agree with that and we may think it's too early, I think it's a good. I think it's a good thing to see society starting to reopen. It's going to motivate people a bit more. Another good piece of good news, which is another double-edged sword, is the fact that China's finally re starting to revise its figures. Because let's be honest, there is no way in hell that China, with its population density in cities such as Wuhan, and the uh, number of the sheer chaos that's unfolded there due to the coronavirus, there is no way in hell that they had a lower infection rate and a lower death rate than France. This is just nonsense. And it seems that Macron's criticism of uh, the Chinese behavior, not only blaming the EU for everything and spreading disinformation, but of pretending that uh, the French state and other European states were, I am indeed French, yes, that the French state and the European states were leaving all elderly to die in care homes, and that uh, we just simply didn't know what on earth was going on in China because it was hard to actually know. Now, moving on to the first question. So the coronavirus exit strategy, someone was asking me on a European level, what do they currently look like and is it too early to be pushing for these things and actually enacting them? Now, I think that in a number of countries it is far too early, especially in the UK, because I don't know if everybody saw, but we had about 100 people clapping on Westminster Bridge 
for the NHS in some bizarre act of support while the police sort of stood there and watched. And when you've got people doing this in the a country in the like the UK, which is supposed to be above and beyond more sensible than other countries, yet people are taking acts that are definitely going to end up increasing the infection on that day, just by pure stupidity, in my opinion. It's it's too early to start talking about exit strategies. I was telling that I was I was talking about uh, Keir Starmer's demand for this kind of behaviour on or this kind of this, his demand for information to come back or to come out publicly and be shared to the public. It's just a bad idea because people are already not respecting the the restrictions. People aren't respecting the demand to just stay at home. People aren't respecting the distance required between people to actually make sure that we can get out of this crisis well enough. And I mean, as a French person, I find it almost hilarious that countries like the UK are being as undisciplined when we're frequently targeted as the people with the least discipline in Europe and in some cases the world. But so starting from the more recent thing. So Denmark has really started this exit strategy, which good or bad will be the way it is. Um, the Austrians also started reopening things on April 14th. So there are, I'll, I can talk about the USA in a second, because I want to concentrate on the European Union first, and then I'll make a contrast and comparison with the US strategy after what Donald Trump said the other day. Now, Austria started opening things up. Belgium is preparing some form of exit strategy. So it's currently talking about garden centers and DIY shops maybe reopening the doors soon, but having to follow very strict regulations to be able to stay open or they'll be shut down. But this is because Belgium, despite being quite a small country, it took a very heavy hit from the coronavirus and it's still reeling in some ways. And I'm hearing this more and more from friends of mine in the in Belgium and especially in Brussels. Czech Republic smaller shops started opening on April the 9th and they've started restricting travel restrictions there. France, things are starting to reopen on the 11th of May. I mean, there's so much polemicization on that topic. I've got family who are refusing to send their children to school. I've got I've got contacts who are refusing to go back to work if they're asked to go back to work before the whole thing gets lower. Um, Germany is going to start reopening shops from that are at least 800 square, me square meters large from the April 20th, and they're going to start reopening schools from May the 4th. Italy is going to start, has started reopening uh, bookshops, stationery shops, and stores for baby clothes from April the 14th probably because parents are not coping at the moment and people are bored out of their minds, so they need to buy books somewhere. Um, Luxembourg is going to allow DIY firms to open from the 20th. Poland is going to start easing measures on the 20th and allowing people to go back to parks because in Poland, it was just completely shut down. And in Spain, they're going to start re-allowing non-essential economic activities in industrial and construction industries. Now, alongside these, there's lots of measures across the European Union for the provision of masks, asking individuals to either buy masks or in some cases providing them for them. 
And I think in states such as uh, Poland and maybe France, they are, they've started to make it mandatory for the public to wear masks. Germany is deciding not to for some bizarre reason. I don't quite know why, but that's how it is. And right now, I think that a lot of countries are doing what they can to sort of get the economy moving again, because the main concern at the European level is that these countries aren't able to, they're not going to be able to weather a sustained economic downturn or a lack of economic activity, especially because in countries like France, for example, the, the government's basically bankrolling the economy, bankrolling uh, staff who are not able to work but need to be paid because they have to pay rent, you know. Uh, asking uh, banks to stop chasing repayments, asking banks to stop claiming for, you know, interest rates, asking landlords to be a bit more forgiving with rent and supporting them in that way. And I think, especially in Germany, that was courting recession quite recently anyway. Germany is probably wanting to get as close to being able to start resuming normal economic activity as quickly as possible. But of course... This has made a bit easier because of the fact that the European Union is providing financial support for a lot of countries and for a lot of companies across the Eurozone. And the European Union overall is doing what it can to support the, the countries. I mean, there's a 500 billion fund to support companies across the, the EU. So there is good news there. And I think that the... Uh, I mean, I do sympathize with people. I think that the lockdown should go on a bit longer than people are planning currently. But I do also sympathize with the Austrian strategy, which is providing as much freedom as possible with as much restriction as necessary to make sure that we can actually get out of this. Now, the US, the US program, which I find quite interesting, and I'm not sure if it's the best idea because it does. when I read it, it did set off alarm bells in my head. So there's a free-tiered program, but well, there's a free-tiered system in place for the uh, the states to reduce lockdown measures and come out of lockdown eventually. Now, I can't remember off the top of my head what they are, but they are linked to there being specific measures such as whether the, uh, the state's medical system can actually cope with a further outbreak, whether there's an actual downturn in infections and deaths, whether the... The uh, governors think it's acceptable to uh, do this without putting the population further at risk. And there is there are questions about how good this is because it came surprisingly quickly after we were seeing Americans, particularly Trump supporters, protesting outside of uh, city halls and mayoral residences and uh, government buildings, federal government buildings even, in multiple states demanding that uh, the uh, the government actually reduce lockdown measures and allow people to go back to work and uh, allow people to go back to doing what they want. Knowing Trump, I'm, I'm, I'm on the side that he's probably doing this for a political reason, that uh, in the US especially because they are just hitting the peak, and this is the same for a lot of countries who are just sort of getting past the peak, there is a need to sort of protect themselves politically and basically get the electorate on side, particularly with the election coming up. And the fact that Donald Trump in particular is slightly at risk to in a fight with uh, Joe Biden, for example, 
the presumptive Democratic nominee for the presidential elections. And Trump is having to come to just about fight everything. Uh, I'm a bit tired. I'm not sleeping too well and I'm working late nights at the moment. So, yeah, I probably look a bit tired, but I'll be fine. Anyway, back to the next question. Could COVID-19 really lead to the unraveling of the European Union? Yes. Just straight up, yes. I mean, there are there are so many things that could go wrong. There are so many arguments that could be played against the European Union based on the way it's acted. There are so many ways for populists to twist the, uh, what's been happening and stick a knife in the EU and just twist it as hard as they can. The EU is definitely at risk of unraveling if things aren't handled properly and if things aren't done the way they should be and if the European member states aren't able to develop a stronger level of cooperation in matters of health, in matters of economy, and even on a political level. I mean, Macron made a very good prediction on the uh, arguments that could be put forward in his uh, interview with the Financial Times yesterday, I believe it was, or the day before, which I would advise everybody to have a listen to. Um, so, for example, one thing that he foresees populists doing, particularly in Italy, is, and I'm quoting verbatim, is, so when immigrants arrive in your country, they tell you to keep them. When you have an epidemic, they tell you to deal with it. And that is definitely the perception that a lot of countries have had. The If you look at the criticism levied towards the EU, which I think are quite unfair, is that people are talking about how early in the epidemic, the European Union abandoned Italy, just abandoned Italy and left Italy to its own devices to simply just deal with the pandemic or the outbreak at a time and then just when it started to concern other countries, they were, then they started taking interest, then they started getting involved, and then they started actually wanting help, but which is, it's, it's not true. I mean, straight up, while the EU at a European level couldn't necessarily do what it, many wanted it to do, because it, like most other countries was preparing for the worst and trying to figure out how it could cope, European member states didn't just abandon Italy. This This is just not the case. I mean, you had countries such as France that were sending millions of masks and equipment to Italy to support them. You had countries that one country such as Austria did close down their borders, which is we're starting to learn is a uh, a knee jerk reaction from the Austrian states whenever something goes wrong. We saw this in the financial crisis, in the, the financial crisis, in the migrant crisis. We're seeing it now. Um, France, countries such as France didn't. I believe Switzerland also kept its well. Switzerland isn't an EU member state, but Switzerland, as an actor that does have some kind of impact on Europe, didn't close its borders out either, and Italy wasn't just left to fend for itself. The, uh, the European Union was helping to negotiate ways to keep uh, telecom companies running, had to negotiate, they were negotiating to uh, make sure that countries had enough equipment and were producing enough. Thierry Breton, the competition commissioner, was also doing a lot of heavy, heavy lifting to make sure that things were moving, that things were going, that the countries didn't feel they were being abandoned, that companies were being, you know, heard and they were being involved in the discussions happening. The, the It's simply not true that the EU was abandoning countries. However, this is how it's going to play out. This is how populists are going to really tug on this. And the elections in France next year, the presidential and the legislative elections, uh, you're going to see Macron being hit very hard by Le Pen on the fact that the EU abandoned Italy. 
it's not going to be true, but a combination of populists in in Spain, in Italy, in France, probably Germany as well, in all the upcoming elections, is going to have a toll and it's going to have an impact on the way people view the EU response, which could lead to an unraveling of the EU. Now, the the way that I can think that this could be avoided is if countries such as the Netherlands, and I'm happy to call them out on the way they've been behaving regarding this corona bonds thing, and Germany as well, they stop making these selfish arguments about how they need to avoid debt mutualization at all costs, that they need to be protected against the evils of Southern Europe's economic policy and blah, 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 because it's it's nonsense. It's, it's absolute nonsense. I mean, there are countries such as Italy, Spain, and Greece who just don't have the economic leeway to behave in the way that the Netherlands does. This isn't just because of the fact that the Netherlands has a stronger economic policy that is more less spend heavy and more thrifty. It's, it's, it's not just the case. It's the fact that Italy, well, the what were called in a derogatory manner, the pigs, so Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, and Spain, they have had to deal with almost a decade of austerity. They've had to, they're still repaying loans, they're still repaying and dealing with situations, even though their economies are maybe getting stronger, are coping better with what's happening. They, they've just had to deal with quite a lot and they're still suffering from that, what happened. That's simply the case. And I think that the, the European countries such as the Netherlands and Germany that are you know, paranoid about mutualizing debts with the, uh, these countries, especially the Southern European countries, and are definitely viewing through the prism of 2008, they, I think it's, it's just counterproductive. And it's, it's even in a limited level of debt mutualization, like the corona bonds, where it would literally just be for the coronavirus pandemic and to make sure that things could work and would even be a test run for further euro bonds down the line. I just think it's it's selfish, it's self-interested, and it's, it's playing domestic politics when we need a response at a European level. Because the European Union isn't going to come out of this if the Netherlands and if every single country just sticks to itself. I mean, for example, if we all took the, uh, the Dutch strategy, um, Germany and France just refused to cooperate with uh, Southern European countries, didn't send any equipment, didn't provide any financial support at all. And just left Italy to deal with it because, you know, Italy is your problem. It's not a European level issue. Get out. Just think of the absolute chaos and the disaster that would have developed in in Italy. Just, you know, Italy would have been crippled by this crisis. Italy would not have been able to cope on its own. And Italy, in my view, would have not only just left the Eurozone after the crisis because it had been abandoned. It would have probably left the EU. I mean... Prime Minister Conte would have just been like absolutely annihilated in the next elections. Like all the parties that weren't populist and anti-EU would have just fallen apart because, you know, how do you defend Europe abandoning you in your moment of need? And we'd have probably seen Salvini back and causing chaos like he usually does, you know. That, that, that's the rea- reality of what is happening at a European level when countries such as the Netherlands refuse to cooperate. Luckily, we're not all doing that, thank God, but that is a major issue. This is not how the European Union should be functioning. And I, I okay, admittedly, I'm a I'm a Eurofederalist. I think that there should be more power invested in the European Union as institutions. But this isn't even about that. This is about, you know, being 
you know, brothers and sisters to one another and actually supporting one another when we need, you know. I mean, I think they're still discussing Corona bonds and trying to get the Netherlands and Germany on board. But, you know, I think that um, the uh, fiscal hawks or the fiscal, yeah, the fiscal hawks need to be a bit more, you know, they need to wake up and sort of come to terms with what's actually happening. The final question that I had was, why are politicians so popular now? I mean, the and I mean, this person did uh, DM me this question and was asking me, like, for example, Macron jumped something like in some polls up to like thirty percent, and a lot of politicians are doing very well in the polls in general. Uh, the simple answer to that is that in times of crises, the politicians who are dealing with the crisis and showing sort of strong leadership and showing a strong ability to cope with problems and the issues that are arising on a daily basis and are, you know, they're basically being seen day in, day out, as in the UK, for example, with Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson is doing quite well. Um, they're seen as sort of leaders. I mean, Macron did quite well politically to position himself as a war leader or like as a sort of war chief, as I think Le Figaro was, was uh, naming him. And... The these times of crisis show the better side of a politician because the politician is there leading the response and leading the crisis. In some cases, it's just not happening. I will say this outright: like Yair Bolsonaro in Brazil looks like a a muppet. He looks like a colossal muppet for that because I think I saw a chart the other day. I'm not sure if it's entirely true, so take this with a big grain of salt. But I'm pretty sure that there is a chart where there is only one country in the world which is having protests against restrictive measures to combat coronavirus, and it's uh, Brazil. And this is being born through Bolsonaro's anti-institutional, anti-international, anti-globalist idea where he's sort of, you know, he's put the coronavirus forward to the public as some bizarre conspiracy theory that is being used to undermine Brazil economic power or some nonsense or whatever. You know, it's this kind of, in countries like that, and even in countries like that, he's not popular. He's, he's, he's not doing very well and he's looking increasingly bad on an international level. I mean, and this isn't even taking into account the fact that the Brazilian military was drawing up plans that showed France was the single greatest threat to Brazil militarily for whatever reason. But, I mean, Macron's doing well because it's uh, these kind of situations allow him to really showcase what he's good at. You know, his discourse has been strong consistently. He's, he's got good speechwriters. He's, I mean, admittedly, he's getting better at being sincere in the way he's talking as well. His ability to communicate is his strongest point. So, you know, doing a... a, a, a a speech every two weeks, every week on how people are doing, how they should proceed. Doing a very using very wartime language also helps as well. Um, in the UK, simply just that, uh, for better or for worse, the politicians there are popular. Boris Johnson is a very popular politician for whatever reason. It's sort of what, in my opinion, got him through the last general election. Angela Merkel always does quite well in these kind of situations where she's very good at doing the austere leader act and coming across 
well. And I think Merkel's the most popular politician in Germany by far anyway. And in, uh, in Italy, I believe Conte is doing quite well in the uh, polls. I'm not sure if this is still sort of the new government balance or the fact that he has done a very good job in dealing with this. But, I mean, it's doing well overall. And for all politicians across the board, I think even uh, Mark Rutte, who's not really had a strong reaction to coronavirus, and in my dealings of, uh, you know, political actors here and people that I encounter in the street, is not a particularly popular person. He he's coming out to this quite well, I think. But again, this goes back to the issue of you know politicians do quite well in times of crisis, and they tend to be able to draw on more support because of the fact that it's. Because of the way they turn these crises into a security issue and how that can, can galvanize the public behind them and get them behind them in terms of support. I mean, those are the so those are my the three questions I had today. So I hope that I gave the people who are asking the questions some good answers. Um, like usual, you know, if you have any further questions, just send them my way. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram, you can email me you can do whatever you can even think can you message people on periscope i have no idea but you know thank you for coming thank you for tuning in i hope you guys enjoyed it and yeah you know what thank you again for listening i hope you guys all have a good day the next episode will be on monday so i hope that you guys have a lovely weekend that you enjoy the that you enjoy the weekend that it does some good weather and look after yourselves